A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Hey, Tash, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you? I'm great. It's sunny over here in Melbourne. What about you? Yeah, yeah. It's very sunny here in Perth as well. Very early, but it's not even early anymore, but it's sunny. It's good. Yeah, a little bit of a time difference, but we both have sunshine, so it'll be a lovely day. And it's going to be even more lovely because we're talking about some exciting things today. What are we talking about, Tash? This episode is all about the different types of investing strategies. So all the way from dollar cost averaging to lump sum investing, we'll touch on ESG investing as well, and maybe even talk about day trading at the end, which is all very exciting. I like talking about strategies because I find that they sometimes change for people over time. Do you find that for yourself? Yeah, especially when I first started, I didn't know there was names for all of these things. I just started and hoped for the best. So it's nice to know that there's different strategies for different people and we all don't have to just be day traders. Yes. And they can change over time. So what works for you now might not work for you later and so forth. But knowing what they are is a great way to set yourself up for success. Yeah. And to find one that works for you. Exactly. Well, let's kick it off. What's the first one? We're going to start with dollar cost averaging, which I think is one of the most popular ones in our communities, if you agree, Anna. Yes, I think it gets talked about a lot. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, because people just make posts of it and they call it DCA. So if you see DCA written, they mean dollar cost averaging, probably. Dollar cost averaging is investing a fixed amount of money at regular intervals, regardless of the price of the investment. By doing this, you're able to buy more shares when the price is low and fewer shares when the price is high, which can help to reduce the impact of volatility in your portfolio. So what this means is just picking an amount and investing it no matter what. So you're not looking at the stock market and deciding when is the perfect time to invest. So for me, for example, I invest $1,000 a fortnight at the moment. So no matter what's happening, it's always $1,000 a fortnight. Yes, I'm similar. I just try to set 
and forget. So that's a, that's another term. Yes, where, yeah. <laughs> another term that we didn't really talk about. I don't think we have in our notes here, but I do the same thing. I have a set amount. I also have about a thousand and I just kind of do that regularly and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about if the market's up, if it's down, what it's doing, if it's stressful. I just kind of invest the same amount of time. And then uh, my average price is what it is. And I don't have to worry about the highs and lows and being stressed by market news. Yeah. <laughs> And then you get the average return of the stock market, hopefully, which is pretty good when you look back historically. Like I know we use the average stock market returns for a lot of examples and everyone's like, how do you get nine or 10%? And this is one of those strategies that you can use to try and achieve that. Yeah. So the next strategy that we we're going to talk about is lump sum investing. It's a little bit different. It is actually probably the complete opposite of dollar cost averaging, where it is taking a large sum of money all at once. And rather than spreading it over time, such as dollar cost averaging, the approach is that you just invest it all at once. Often this can be a little bit risky because if you're investing at a time when prices are really high. It's not advantageous. But if prices are low, it can be really fantastic. This is really interesting because in my mind, I feel like dollar cost averaging should win out. But actually, if you assume you have 100% stocks or shares in your portfolio, the return on lump sum investing outperformed 75% of the time which is pretty wild. For portfolios with 100% bonds, that rate of outperformance was 90%, which is crazy as well. So timing the market doesn't always work. Very true. And there's a lot of advantages to lump sum investing. You can get higher returns, especially if you invest when the market's low. There's less temptation to time the market. You know, you just put all your money in. You're not stressed about it. I know that that's a conversation I have with a lot of friends when they should invest. And if you just do it, you, you're you less stressed about it. You also get an increased time in the market. You've just done it. You've invested. You don't have to now worry about anything because you are in the market. And um, there's also a potential for lower transaction fees. As we know, when you when you buy or sell a specific share, you often have a transaction fee. And if you're doing it once, chances are it's a bit lower. Yeah. So transaction fees are also just called brokerage fees. There's lots of different fees out there as well. But if you're paying multiple brokerage fees over and over again, that really adds up. Um, there's definitely some disadvantages to lump sum investing. So there can be higher risk if you're putting it all in at one time, especially if you manage to buy at the height of the market, but we can never really know. Um, this can increase your losses as well. And you can miss opportunities when you're investing during the top of the market. Um, it also depends on your personal financial situation as well. Do you have enough for your emergency fund? Have you invested everything? Um, that depends on the person as well. I know I did a lump sum investment when I first started investing. I think I've talked about this before. I had some money and I, and I was so scared about putting it in at the wrong time in the market. I stressed about it for ages and then I finally did it and the market just kept doing its thing. And I was quite grateful because again, it goes back to, you know, being in the market for a longer period of time, less temptation to try to time the market. You just do it. It's done and you don't have to stress about it. Yeah. I definitely did this as well. After I bought my apartment and I was being a little bit less risk averse because I used to just invest small amounts, watch it and be like, oh no, what have I done? Um, but after I bought my apartment, I kind of was like, oh, like my perspective on money changed a little bit. Like after handing over that $50,000 deposit check, I was like, oh, I can just invest $5,000. It's okay. I just handed over 50 grand to the bank or to my apartment, I guess. So yeah, that made it a bit easier and I just put it all in and that worked out okay. We're here now. We're doing well. <laughs> exactly. So next one is buy and hold. And buy and hold investing strategy is when an investor buys an investment, usually shares with the intention of holding them for a long period of time. The idea is, is that over the long time, shares will generally increase in value despite the short-term fluctuations in the market. 
Uh, this is a quite popular strategy also because a lot of these companies pay dividends, which then provide a steady stream of income for investors. But this strategy does not eliminate risk. Uh, there's always the potential to lose money, especially at market downturns. But it is one that gets talked quite a bit in this community. Yeah. Well, it's how we both invest. We just buy things that have a proven track record or companies that have been around for a long term or index funds that cover broad markets. And then, yeah, just buy and hold and see what happens. Uh, funny fact, I have never sold any of my shares oh, that I've ever invested. pretty cool. I've sold a few because they were bad choices, but mostly I've kept them all as well. Um, even yeah. some of the less great ones. Just waiting to see what happens to them. Oh, actually, that's a lie. I did sell some investments when I switched brokers because it was the only way to exit and move to another brokerage company. Yes. I've done this as well with Vanguard Personal Investor. They just made it so difficult to transfer out. So I just gave up and sold them all and then repurchased them somewhere else. Yeah. And and that's okay. I feel like sometimes your strategy has to change. And in my case, I actually got a broad index fund, which I was much more happy with because the other one was tied to the bank. This was back in Canada and I wasn't actually happy with how diversified that fund was. So yeah. Win-win. Mine was more about just like trying to make things more simple because I had all these different brokers everywhere and I was getting paid the dividends into Vanguard Personal Investor and I just didn't check it. And I had a thousand dollars of dividends just sitting there, which is a fun surprise, but I can't be losing a thousand dollars just so casually. So I sold it and consolidated everything, which makes life easier. Yes, it absolutely does. And we'll be talking more about dividends and brokers in our next episode. So definitely check that out. Yes. Well, dividend investing is actually a whole other strategy as well, which involves investing in companies that pay dividends. Dividends are just regular payments to shareholders, um, which is the income from your investments. Dividend paying stocks or shares can provide a steady stream of income and can be a good option for investors looking for a more passive investment strategy. This is usually a little bit more popular, I think, with people who have retired or are looking to retire um, because dividends can be taxed a little bit higher than capital gains because there's this wonderful thing called a capital gains tax discount. But I think we'll touch on that in a few more episodes. Dividend investing is amazing. I think the first time I had dividends hit my account, I was blown away. Like my money made money and I have a different income. Even if it's $3, I'm it's so, so happy. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice watching it grow over time. So I get mine paid into my bank account and it's just so nice seeing them come through. And because it's a bit irregular, like it's every three to six months, I'll just like wake up and be like, oh, look at all these little payments coming through. Yay. It's like magic. Yeah. I love it. It's so cool. Like the fact, like the concept of being able to buy more income, like being able to mm-hmm. buy yourself a pay rise. It's very cool. Yes. I love that idea because you're essentially buying companies and those companies are paying you out as a shareholder. And that concept is mind boggling that you actually get money for investing into companies. And I love it. The first way my dad taught me about shares was he put a tomato sauce bottle on the table and tried to be like, you can buy one tenth of this tomato sauce bottle. And that made no sense to me. And I was like, what is going on? Why would you want to split a tomato sauce bottle? I think I was like seven or something. But then when he made it more realistic and he was like, well, we buy shares in Woolworths, but not Coles. So we only shop at Woolworths. That kind of put it into a better perspective for me. And I was like, okay, like Woolworths is making money and then they pay it back to my parents. And I understand that so much better. You were seven. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, I was around my dad's friends and they were all talking about it, kind of like investing in all these things. And I was like, I just don't get it. Like, what is a share? Like, how do you buy a share of something? But yeah, using the tomato sauce bottle is not a good way to visualize that at all. (laughs) So no more tomato sauce analogies in the future, I would say. Just Woolworths (laughs) versus Coles works. That works. That works. 
Next strategy we're going to talk about is index investing. And that's a favorite of both Tash and mine. Why we love index investing is literally because you're following the index. So for example, the ASX 200 is an index of the top 200 companies listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. So by investing in an index, you gain exposure to a diverse range of companies and sectors that can help you reduce your risk. You might hear a lot about the S&P 500, which is a really popular index as well. That's the largest 500 listed companies in the US. And that's often used as a lot of the benchmarks for average returns when we're looking at the stock market. Yeah. And that's another index as well. And as we talked about in our last episode, if you hear indices or indexes, that just yes. means plural of, uh, of various indexes. And they just they just follow a, a wide range of something. So you can have different indexes in different sectors as well. And that's just something to be aware of. Yeah. And the reason indexes are so cool when you're investing is because you don't have to individually pick those 200 companies. So if one company goes bankrupt in the ASX 200, it's just replaced by another company. And those poor returns of that one company is just kind of, I don't know, shielded, not really shielded, is kind of covered by the other companies, I guess. Yeah. Actually, it's funny you say that because um, my old company that I worked at, made it to the ASX 200. And I was like, yay, they made it. And then a couple quarters later, or maybe a year or two later, they fell out. (laughs) So, you know, um, you don't have to worry about that because you're following an index. So you don't have to worry about choosing and picking the right the right companies to invest in. Yeah. And it's really cool because you're not going to research 500 different companies like the S&P 500 and keep up to date with them. So having an index just do that for you is great. Fantastic. Tash, tell us about the next one. ESG investing stands for environmental, social and governance investing, which focuses on investing in companies that have strong sustainability and or ethical practices. This can include companies that have a positive impact on the environment, promote social equality and have good governance practices. I know this is something we both have been looking into. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, it's always a challenge because what someone defines as an ESG might be different, right? For some people, it might be fossil fuels or, you know, vegan food or plastic, wh- whatever it might be. So it's, it can be challenging to, to define what that is. But I think being conscious about where you invest your money is always a good thing. What about you, Tash? Yeah. And I think a lot of people think ESG investing is just ethical investing, but again, ethical is really gray and there's no one answer to this. So what someone believes is ethical changes for all of us. So it's quite hard to have one, especially a diversified fund that is completely ethical to everyone. And I think a lot of funds will focus on one of the letters. So they'll either focus on environmental or they'll focus on more social or more governance. So yeah, it's really hard and you have to actually look into what the ETF or the managed fund actually is investing in. I know Vanguard Was it Vanguard? Yeah, I think ASIC went after Vanguard for greenwashing. And greenwashing is just kind of slapping on an ethical label without actually following the rules to it or trying to get investors to pay higher fees for it. It is a challenge because, for example, if you're a believer that Apple is ethical or not ethical or, you know, falls under ESG, what about the mining that's happening for phones? What about labor that's happening in other countries? Those are all the things you kind of need to consider. But it is available as an investment strategy and there's different ways to do that. But um, I love that we both think about this and um, I think we'll see more of this in the future as people become more aware of what they want to invest in. Yeah, this kind of goes like slightly into the next strategy of passive versus active. But I think with ESG funds, a lot of people prefer to choose active funds in this kind of area. So you can have a fund manager actively going through and picking ethical investors versus a more passive fund that just screens out some of the things we said, like often weapons or smoking or gambling. And that makes a lot of sense because with passive investing, you kind of choose the whole shebang of things 
and you're invested in everything that everyone's invested in, the top 500 or the top 200. But when you do active investing, like you said, someone's choosing what you're investing in. So if having more renewables is something that you're really passionate about, you can be invested in that specifically. Yeah. And this is one area where you might be willing to pay slightly higher fees to make sure someone is actually going through those investments for you. So in talking about passive and active investing, let's just define what those are. Passive investing is investing in index funds and generally are considered better over the long term because it allows investors to effectively capture the returns of the overall market rather than trying to pick individual stocks over time. The approach is less expensive and less time consuming because actively managed portfolios actually need someone to go and sit and look and change and pick specific stocks to be invested on behalf of you. So there's a little bit of a difference between those two. And there are definitely pros and cons to both. It just really depends on what your strategy is, which we kind of talked about with uh, ESG investing as an example. Yeah. And humans are very emotional. So when you have a human actively picking stuff based on the media and the world news, they're definitely going to be impacted in how they view the world and their investments. Especially if you see a tweet that uh, <laughs> that yeah. might uh, influence you, right? Or that Elon Musk has taken a sink into Twitter or something again. Uh, anyways, that's uh-huh. a that's a rabbit conversation hole. for another time. <laughs> Now we've talked about the different kind of types of investing strategies. Now we're going to have a quick chat about asset allocation and how you actually pick your different investments and the percentage you allocate to all of them. So asset allocation is the process of dividing an investment portfolio among different asset classes, such as shares, bonds, and cash. We spoke about that in the last episode. So go listen to that if you haven't yet. Um, the allocation you choose will depend on your investment goals, risk tolerance, and investment timeframe. Diversification is the key here, and you should aim to diversify your portfolio across different asset classes, sectors, and countries. So asset classes are stocks, bonds, properties, cash. Sectors are things like healthcare, tech, what are the other ones? Mining, renewables, stuff like that. And then countries. So if you just bought all of your investments in Australia and something happened to Australia, that would not be ideal. But if you're buying in the US, Australia, also some developing markets like India or China, then you've spread out across the whole world. It's important to remember that your risk tolerance and asset allocation should be reviewed regularly and adjusted as needed. As you age, your risk tolerance may change and your investment goals may shift. I know this has happened for both of us as well. As you get older, you might want to be a bit more conservative to when you're younger and you know you've got so much time on your side. If you have a lower risk tolerance, you might want to invest more into bonds and cash. This is to provide a steady stream of income and reduce portfolio fluctuation over time. So a conservative investor may allocate, for example, 75% of their portfolio to bonds and cash and only 25% to shares. So you're reducing risk, but you're also reducing the ability for your portfolio to grow. And it just kind of depends on what your tolerance is. Yeah. And what you're like, how old you are as well. If you're younger, you probably have a higher risk tolerance because you've got more time to ride out fluctuations. But if you're nearing retirement age, you don't want to be risking your whole portfolio in stocks. If you have a higher risk tolerance, you may focus on growth in your portfolio. This means that you would allocate a greater portion of your investments to shares and less to bonds and cash. The goal of a growth portfolio is to achieve capital gains through investing in shares usually. For example, an aggressive investor may allocate 80% of their portfolio to stocks and only 20% to bonds in cash. I know when I first started investing, word on the street was that you would allocate a percentage of bonds or cash to your age. So for example, if you were 30 years old, you would put 30% against bonds and everything else would be, you know, ETFs, shares and so forth. Because like you talked about, as you get closer to retirement, you probably don't want to be as risky with your 
portfolio. Um, and this just kind of reduces the risk that way. I know when I started investing, I was slightly overwhelmed with what my percentage should be, what my asset allocation, what class, what sectors, what countries. And I think we talked about this previously, but that's why I literally bought all the ETFs. <laughs> yeah. I didn't buy bonds for ages because I started investing in such a low interest rate market. And I was like, why would you buy bonds that have like a 0.01% return or even a negative return for a little while as well? And then I, I think one of the myths as well as investing is just shares. So I just didn't learn about bonds for so long. You're, you're totally right. As inflation has gone up, bonds seem like a safer investment in a way because they have they have less risk as we talked about in the in the last episode. So it is interesting to see more people talking about bonds as inflation plays into the market as well. So yeah, well, as everything's changing and if you're looking at a bond or even a savings account that's returning like four to 5% and you're expecting maybe 7% in your shares, but it's not guaranteed, it's almost worth looking at picking the guaranteed option and not taking that risk for maybe not even getting a better return. I know when you first start investing, it's really hard to actually decide what to allocate to different things and like what, how to make your portfolio up. And there's so much information out there. So when I first started learning, I went through all the popular super fun websites to see what they allocated for different risk tolerances. Like I know Australian super, for example, you can just go through their conservative growth, high growth. I don't know exactly what they call them. They're like mixed portfolios and they tell you it's 40% to Australian shares and like whatever it is to the US shares and how much it is to property and emerging markets and cash and things like that, which is very helpful. And also looking at robo advice platforms as well. I know Stockspot and Six Park, I think they have the ETFs that they actually invest in on their website as well. So you can see exactly what they're allocating to each. Like that's definitely not advice and you should do your research and everything, but it's really handy to go and see what these experts are thinking is a high risk portfolio or a, a more conservative portfolio. This is so smart. When I heard that you did this, I was like, why didn't I do this? What a great way to just kind of see what funds are allocating, especially your super fund. I know on Perler, you're also able to see other people's portfolios and what people are investing in. Again, not not advice of any kind, but it kind of helps you have an idea of. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST you know, um, what are the things you should consider? Like you said, what sector you're in, what, um, what allocation in class and country. So it's a great way to kind of just get started and thinking about what your strategy should be. Yeah. And comparing like how different funds look at it differently as well. Like I think Stockspot is one that has gold in their portfolios and they talk about how gold hedges against inflation and stuff like that. So that's really interesting because Vanguard or I think Six Park and the others don't have gold or Ray's definitely doesn't have gold. 
And then if you look at Raise, they also have a portfolio with Bitcoin in it. So there's different ways to look at different things and how to incorporate that into your overall portfolio. One of the things I want to say is your strategy might change. Don't get overwhelmed. I know my strategy has changed. Tasha's strategy yeah. has changed. So don't get overwhelmed by, should I put gold? Should I put crypto? Should I, you know, be 100% Australian or 50% or 30%? Don't stress. Your goals can change. Your strategies can change. Just start. And it'll never be perfect when you're looking at like a six, four, six part portfolio. Like you will never have that perfect allocation if you've just started and learned as you've gone and changed along the way. Like if you looked at both of our portfolios, you'd be like, what is going on here? But it makes sense. Why is there so much overlap, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you buy all the Australian ETFs when they're the same? Good question. <laughs> exactly. If you're wondering what your risk tolerance is, because I know we've spoken about it quite a bit, you can do a free quiz online. It also just takes time to learn how you would react in particular situations. In theory, it's really easy to think that you wouldn't panic and sell during a market correction, but it's not always as easy in real life. The longer your time frame and more flexible your time frame is, the better chance you have at achieving a positive return because you can ride out the market corrections. I think this is why starting and just starting small is really important. So you can see how you go with like a thousand dollar portfolio when it drops 30% rather than saving $50,000, investing it, and then watching that drop by like 20 grand, which is very, very possible. We've talked a little bit about timeframes, especially with buy and hold. And these are really important when you're thinking about what your goals are. In investing, often timeframes are referred to as short, medium, and long-term. Short-term investing refers to investments that are held for less than a year. This type of investment is often associated with day trading or short-term speculation. And short-term investors may focus on market fluctuations and try to make a quick profit. Long-term investing refers to investments that are held for more than five years. This type of investing is often associated with the buy and hold strategies. Long-term investors may focus on the underlying fundamentals of the assets they invest in, such as the financial health of a company or the stability of a country's economy, which is what we're kind of relying on when we're buying the S&P 500 or the ASX 200. And then there's medium-term investing, which is between two and, and four years. And that would kind of fall under things that uh, money that you would want to maybe access a bit quicker as well. So for example, it might be something that you want to do in terms of saving for a house deposit um, and being able to access that. So again, just understanding the risk and volatility that happens in the in the stock market might be something that you want to consider for those medium term investments. Yeah. And the flexibility as well. Like if you ideally want to buy a house in three years, but you can be a bit more flexible, then you can invest in shares. It might be a good solution for you. But if you aren't flexible, you really want to be careful about whether you have the time to ride out those market corrections because they are normal and we should definitely be expecting them. Long-term investing is considered to be a good choice for many reasons. I think it helps us learn how to be patient with the market as well. Um, we can let the power of compounding take advantage. We spoke about that a lot in the first episode. And it helps you to focus on the underlying fundamentals of investing rather than focusing on the highs and the lows and the media and what's happening that day when it doesn't really matter. Like I love when there's, well, I don't love it, but when there's a company announcement about something that's not really, like it really shouldn't affect the share price and all of a sudden investors go and sell and it drops 20% or it increases 20% all because of one bit of news. So that's very interesting. Now let's talk a little bit about timeframes or investing horizons. I think we've thrown out that word a lot and it always depends on your time frame and how long you're investing, but how long are we actually referring to? Investment timeframes refer to the length of time that an investor plans to hold the investment. 
So there's short term, which is up to a year, medium term, which is one to five years and long term, which is five years or longer. Some people say long term is even like seven or 10 years or 15 years in the future. Do you want to tell us about short term investing to start off with, Anna? Yeah, short term investing is often referred to day trading. It's about focusing on the market fluctuations and aiming to make a quick profit. Something that we don't really talk about on this podcast. (laughs) No, we are long term investors, which is why we're getting rich slow. Long term investing refers to investments that are held for more than five years. This type of investing is often associated with the buy and hold strategies, as we've said, and long-term investors focus on the underlying fundamentals of the assets or the companies that they're investing in, such as the financial health of a company or the stability of a country's economy. This is what we're kind of relying on when we buy an index such as the S&P 500, which is like the US economy, or the ASX 200, which is the Australian economy. It's not us saying, hey, buy GameStop or, oh God, you know, no. whatever the hottest stock is talked about on uh, on Reddit. It's, it's literally about that long-term making sure that you're investing in companies that are stable. Long-term investing is good because it gives you time to ride out market corrections or market downturns, which are very normal and to be very expected as well. So if you've got a flexible long-term horizon and the stock market drops for two or three years, it doesn't matter. You can keep investing and then sell later on. So if you're flexible and you have your emergency fund long-term, definitely, definitely helps with that. Helps to reduce your risk. Did you ever feel stressed when you saw your investments drop? Uh, No, but I mostly invested. I invested a chunk right before the COVID crash, but I also invested a lot as the market was crashing during COVID as well. So I never saw a really big drop because I kind of invested throughout that and then the market rose quite a bit. And then by the time we did have that other drop recently, I had been investing for a few more years and was very comfortable with it and was like, oh no, it's fine. I'll just buy more. Um, But I think I started investing at a really good time where there was lots of high returns straight away. So it kind of built my confidence. That's the hard thing. If you've been investing when the stock market has been going up the whole time and it starts going down, it can become very confrontational. I know that I had some money invested during the GFC, the global financial crisis, but I didn't really pay attention because I didn't really know what investing was. It was kind of like my super. It was doing its thing in the background. And every once in a while I would check and be like, why is it down? But I didn't think about it because I was like, oh, this is for retirement. I don't know. But a lot of people freaked out, right? And a lot of people pulled their money out. And that's something that we- thing you can do. That's the worst thing you can do. And so that's why we're talking about this and talking about long-term investing so that you don't freak out when the market goes on a downturn. Yeah. And it's really important to understand why you're investing and that you do have a long-term horizon and what your plan is because money is very emotional. We are very emotional humans. And if you see the news and all the media saying everything's crashing and it's a terrible time and we're going into a recession, you might panic and sell unless you have these things in place and you know why and that the market will recover. But if you don't understand why you're investing in something, you might not believe that it will recover because like with GameStop or other things, for example, those aren't guaranteed to recover. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Um, A few more good things about long-term investing. I think it helps teach us to be patient because we love the instant dopamine hit of seeing that little like, oh, you've made money today or the dividend or whatever it is. So learning to just regularly invest and be patient is really important. And the power of compounding, which we talked about a lot in the first episode, is also so magical. And the longer you have, the better. Those are all great reasons uh, to invest with the longer time frame in mind. There's a, just a few more strategies that we said it's worth noting. They're not ones that we specifically invest in, which is uh, value investing in day trading. 
So value investing is an investment strategy that involves picking stocks that appear to be trading for less than their intrinsic value. This can be very time consuming as research is needed and some speculation can come into play. And this is where you see people doing their calculations and working out at what a company should be valued at and going through the company reports and seeing their profit and their loss and their plans. And it's just too much for me. It can work out really well if you know what you're doing. But for the majority of us, I don't think we want to be sitting there reading through hundreds of pages of company profit and loss statements. It sounds very exhausting, which is also <laughs> how I feel about day trading. And yes. day trading involves being actively buying and selling securities within the same day so that you can try to capitalize on short-term changes in the price. So this is the complete opposite of buy and hold, the complete opposite of thinking about a long-term time frame. It's very risky. And I think people are just like waiting for people to react based on different news of things and like trying to predict how other people will react. But first, and it looks like a very stressful thing to do because it's like an active full-time job and you're watching the market at all. All times. People also leverage, they borrow money to do this as well, which is terrifying, but not for me at all. Yeah, not for me as well. Cause like we said, we're about uh, getting rich slow, no fast, quick yeah. day trading schemes going I on. I think um, Forex got really popular, like foreign exchange with day trading as well. Like that kind of did the rounds on social media as like a get rich quick scheme where you could trade foreign currencies um, and make money that way. But no, you're not like investing in an underlying company like we do with our buy and hold index fund investing strategies. So it is more towards the gambling end of the spectrum. There's also a lot of tax complications that happen with this that don't get discussed. So sometimes people think that they've made it a whole bunch of money, but then didn't realize that there's tax implications that come with that. So it's just something else to note if you are looking at those types of strategies. Yeah. And with the capital gains tax discount, the government encourages you to hold things for long term. So if you hold a stock for over or an investment for over 12 months and then you sell it, you may only have to pay 50% of that capital gain, which is pretty exciting. But with things like dividends or day trading or shorter term investing, you will have to pay the full tax rate. Which is also another plus for long term buy and hold strategy. Yes. The government <laughs> endorses t- it. I don't know if that's good or bad, but yes. <laughs> Can you tell what strategies we like? So we've discussed quite a bit of strategies here um, and we've talked about the ones that we invest in. Uh, What's your favorite, Tash? I like to buy and hold index funds long term. Are you the same? Yeah. 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 Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Surprise. Welcome to, yeah, get rich slow. (laughs) So um, before we kind of end our episode, we have a couple comments from our listeners. Our audience question last week was, what's your favorite investment and why? And here are some of the answers that we got. Not a money one, but a tortilla press. Homemade corn tortillas are a game changer. That's a really cool one. We had ETFs, NDQ, ETFs and an investment property from nine years ago. Investing in the S&P 500. Yes, that was really my best investment as well. That was my first investment. VAS, VGS, VDHD, they're all ETFs as well. Financial, VAS ETF, very low maintenance and supports Aussie companies. Practical, my expensive baseball bat, so I don't need to buy a new one every second. Buying well the first time is definitely a really good idea. Investing in myself, the best thing I've ever done. My favorite investment is definitely property because of the power of leverage, where I can not only use my own money, but I can use the bank's money or other people's money to purchase this asset that I can grow in equity over time. I also love the fact that property feels very tangible. I can renovate it to manufacture equity. I can eventually live in it. I can knock it down and rebuild. There's so many ways that I can bolster this equity over time. And I just feel like there's so much power that it can hold. My best investment has been buying a house through Defence Housing. The initial lease was nine years with a three-year option, which has been extended multiple times. 
Rent is paid in advance each month, so there are no annoying vacancy issues or maintenance issues. It's been a totally hassle-free investment that's definitely worth it. Thank you to everyone who responded last week. Check out the Get Rich Slow Club Instagram to find our question of the week and for your chance to be featured on the show. We love hearing all of your responses, so please go and check it out. Yes, we love hearing from you. If you want to take action after this week's episode, go and have a look at a risk tolerance quiz online. Like we said earlier, it's hard to know without actually experiencing it, but this survey or quiz will help you figure out where you're sitting at the moment. Um, They're quite helpful to go and do that. So just Google risk tolerance quiz. And the other thing that would be really advantageous to do is to jot down what strategies are best suited for you. Um, and they might change in the future, so don't stress about that. There might be one or two or all that apply to you. But just jotting them down and thinking a little bit about them will help keep you accountable and not get distracted by any flashy, you know, tweets that come along <laughs> and just keep you keep you doing your thing. And help you with your further research as well. So if you want to research dollar cost averaging, lump sum investing, dividend investing, write those down so it's a research point for later. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Get Rich Slow Club podcast. What are we talking about next week, Anna? Oh, next week is a goodie. We're going to talk about the stock market and investing jargon. So it's one definitely worth listening to. Thanks so much, Anna. This was lots of fun. Yay. Always fun with you, Tash. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367 and Perla who is an authorised representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.